Hello and greetings everyone and welcome to another episode of the Cricket Sludge. It has been a while since the last one and the delay has been down to the practicalities of life. Hopefully I shall now be able to get into a steady routine, which means I may be able to set aside time regularly for this. Of course, weekend cricket commitments permitting now that the cricket season in Australia has started. My guest today is the affable Dan Weston, who has played a prominent role with many teams as an analyst, strategist and recruiter amongst other hats that he wears and other roles that he plays. Today, he talks about his love for numbers, cricket, the increasingly important role of analysts in competitive cricket, identifying and nurturing junior talent, and giving advice to some guy called Anil Kumble. Don't know who he is. Please enjoy the next hour or so with your morning cuppa on your commute to work or your evening brandy and a cigar next to your fireplace. Hello, Dan. Hey, how are you? I am fine. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for taking some time out of your very, very busy and hectic schedule for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. No, no problem. No problem. All good. All good. And uh, I know that you have only just recently sort of cat- caught up with Jack Hope for the Cricket Podcast's uh, latest one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I know that, you know, th- you know, you have been doing this and a lot of people sort of hear you talk about these things. I personally agree with a lot of the things you talk about and some of the points that you make. And I thought, you know, it would be great to have you on my very humble, very small listenership sort of podcast. But no, you know, no, get, yeah, yeah get, get, to, get to the nitty gritties of what actually is involved in the sort of work that you do. Now, yeah. before I proceed further, I think it would be a bit remiss for me to introduce you as just an analyst and a strategist, because I know there's a lot of things you do. So would you be kind enough in telling us in very, like, you know, telling us about what's the sort of work that you do? Yeah, so so I I have a few different kind of titles, really. It's um, uh, generally kind of refer myself as a recruitment and strategy analyst. Um, yeah. but but there's a I think there's a lot more to it than that and, and certainly as a individual I try and look to to evolve consistently. So for example, when I first started uh, a few years back, I was primarily focused in player recruitment and I'm trying to understand market inefficiencies and what it takes to win tournaments. Mm-hmm. And now um on while that's still massive and, and, and a huge part of what I do I also now look at a uh, uh, more sort of next level analysis as well. So, for example, well, what happens if you you can't buy a player because you've you're stuck with what you've got? You've got players in contracts, uh, and you've got uh, no options in the market to improve what you what, what the squad you've already got. So, how do you improve the players that you've You've got at your disposal, so so understanding of that as well is an, the next level, I think, in terms of using data and and, and in increasing value for the the teams that you're working for. So it's a kind of a two pronged approach, really, in terms of that, that recruitment and retention side of things. One, yeah. what value can you get out of the market, and two, what value can you get out of the players that you've currently got at your club as well? And sometimes, generally, you find that a lot of players don't actually know a lot about their own data. So when you tell them stuff about their own data, they're actually pretty surprised. And 
and a lot of the time kind of more, quite pleasantly surprised and, and will 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 react very well to to you identifying certain things that maybe they could do a lot more of because they're already doing it pretty well, for example. And that happens that happens quite a lot. Uh, um, and and I also do a lot of work on strategy as well. So, for example, um, opposition scouting, analysis of opposition strengths and weaknesses, match-up planning, uh, you name it as well. I do, I do a lot of that too. So, so I, I feel like now um, I've become a much more rounded, a rounded uh, person in the industry as opposed to just being a recruitment analyst, which I probably was to start with. That's wonderful. And I think that was exactly what I was hoping for, because I know very little, I know only certain aspects of what you do. And I think it's also important to mention that, you know, you're Dan Weston, the analyst and the strategist, not Daniel Weston, who plays for Germany, who's basically an (laughs) an Australian exporter. Yeah, it's very random how that's how that is actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I, I heard about Daniel Weston or while listening to the Emerging Cricket Board and I thought, I'm fairly certain it's not the same Dan Weston that you know we often uh, hear. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, so very, that's good. Yeah. He's and got, I think he's got, he's got he's got hair, I don't have any hair. Yeah. That's, that's how you can tell. <laughs> so basically you're part of the same club that I am vice president yeah, of, I would say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I lost mine a long time ago. Ah, same here, buddy. Same here. Now, uh, you know, some of those advanced metrics that you talk about, we'll probably get to that in a while because, uh, you know, there are some questions around that that I wanted to pick your brains about. And I think you have alluded to that in one of the episodes on the Cricket Post. So, and I have asked Jared Kimber that question as well, but I never really got an answer from him. But I thought you would be the person to ask that. Right. Um, now, Let's go back to the beginning of it and let's track your journey through all of this. Now, nobody is born a statistician or an analyst Mm -hmm. or a strategist and things like that. How did you get involved in this line of work? And uh, was it numbers first and then cricket as a part of that? Or was it cricket first and then you sort of specialized in the numbers around cricket or in cricket? Um, Kind of a bit bit of everything, really. so like when I was when I was younger, like you know, at school age, I used to be be uh, used to love all sports really, and uh, I was always really good at maths from from a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, though there's a an English TV show called Countdown. I don't know if you've. Seen oh it yeah, yes. Uh, uh, I, I used to watch it for Carol Vorderman. <laughs> um, so there was there was obviously the uh, the, the letters came. But the numbers yeah. game was the one that, that kind of got my attention a lot more. Right. Uh, I, I was never really any good at, at and letters game, and I'm still not now. But but if there was a, a numbers, yeah, countdown numbers only version, I probably would apply for it. Yeah, uh, you, and, you'd probably be the not a contestant, but I suppose you'd probably be what was it like match official, the judge? What, what's yeah, his position? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, the Rachel Riley of Tennessee. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. you'd you'd probably be in the control group rather than the test group. <laughs> so, so uh, um, I was quite actually quite pleased the other day. I watched one the other day, and I, I couldn't get it. I I, I got within one, and uh, I went to Rachel, and she said, oh, uh, "You have to leave this one with me because I can't get it." So I was pretty right. pleased about that. But anyway, Excellent. going back to what we were talking about. Um, uh, I was doing those from about the age of three. Mm-hmm. three. Uh, my, my grandmother was, was like, right. she's watching it so with me. Basically, and, uh, when a lot of people 
for a lot of kids were essentially trying to figure out how to use the potty. You were already playing with numbers. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I could do like all my table and stuff before I went. To wow, that, that, that's uh, precocious uh, talent. Yeah, yeah, but it was. I, I don't know if it was talent or, or whether it was just one interest and two because I had. Like my grandparents and stuff, for example, were very, very like interested in helping me develop that side of things. Yeah. So my my grandmother in particular is like I, I guess I guess I must have inherited this this from her is the the that she's she's incredible at mental arithmetic, mm. and the, mm. uh, my grandparents used to run a few shops uh, in London. This is before the age of you know, digital tills and stuff. She used to do yeah. all all of the. All of the bill, all of the bills for customers in our head, right? Uh, Which I think uh, to the modern generation is something short of just short of a miracle, because yeah. uh, that they're just so used to using the calculators or the number pads on the till itself, isn't it? I mean, even to calculate uh, basic change. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and so, because because I, I guess I did have some talent, but also I was I had interest and people who are willing to to nurture that interest as well. <laughs> the 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 it would kind of create a, a nice a nice start for me in in life from a mathematical perspective, um, and yes, I've always been interested in that. I've always been interested in sport, and I I, I actually started to simulate cricket matches when I was about nine or ten years old. Like right. in England, they used to have. I don't know if they still have it. Actually, I'm not sure. I haven't I haven't looked for a while, but they used to have like supplements in the week weekend newspapers. Huh? Uh, and with all the the county averages and stuff like that, uh, 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 and, and so I used to like play games with you know hypothetical games w- between players and uh, right. So basically, <laughs> like a, a early version of your cricket manager, like a you know cricket version of yeah, the football manager like, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to do it on pen and paper and stuff, and I used to really enjoy it, and then. Kind of about thirty years later, I managed to to turn that into a bit more of a reality. So I've always been, like I say, very very interested in that. And then I went to university, done an accounting degree. So that was, I guess, quite, kind of maths maths oriented as well. Mm-hmm. And then and then um, I did a lot of uh, work in the gambling industry actually. So uh, I, play, I played online poker, for example, full time. Right. For, for a while, and 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 again, that's that's a very maths oriented. Game, yeah, yeah. You know, like the, the image of of what you see in a in a movie with, you know, ten guys around the table, smoke filled room, yes, drinking the fifth bottle of whiskey and yeah. And, and, and I, I can actually visualize you there with Brad Pitt at that opening scene in Ocean Seven. <laughs> right. Well, well, that 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 image is. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure you can probably find somewhere in some random house game that it is like that. Oh, but probably. Yeah. It's 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 not like that. Basically, it's, it's about as far as as far as it gets. Online poker. You've got you've got. People who are extremely driven, uh, very highly intelligent people who would no doubt be massive successes in industry. Yeah. Um, looking to 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 beat beat the beat the the their competitors. Yeah. And you know these these people one they're highly intelligent, two they're highly motivated, three they live generally a pretty good lifestyle in terms of. Even stuff like eating well and and fitness and yes. and, and like that, they they they'll do anything to kind of have that that edge. 
they've studied game theory strategy you know yeah. got, some of them have got machine learning tools and stuff yeah. and, and, and you know and you know this is it, it's not it's it's not anywhere near what the perception is in terms of our people calling big big bet on a hunch or throwing your car keys into the middle of the table or, yeah. or something like that is these people are doing like insane equations in their head on on, on a regular basis uh, and, and, and so so i did that for a while and again it's it's so it's such a maths a maths oriented uh, pursuit but also as it as it's transpired it, it helped me a lot in terms of understanding things like uh, database query tools, uh-huh. um, which which is pretty prevalent in, in cricket in terms of uh, sourcing data. So so I mean I mean I don't know if you've if you've been on Stats Guru for example on yeah. on, on Quick Info, yeah. you'll know that you can that's 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 essentially what a query tool is in terms of yeah you you you're you're running filters and and and, and different queries to okay. try yeah. and yeah. It get certain results or to understand certain things well the poker one is like that times a hundred right i see okay so 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 like there, there's 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 various different products that you can buy which which track the hand histories of 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 you and your opposition and, you, and things like that yeah uh, and you can you can run all those queries in load different queries in minute detail to understand mm. your own problem, your your strengths your weaknesses and your opponent's strengths and the opponent's weaknesses i see and, and, and having that exposure to that that type of thing w- has actually really helped me in cricket because uh, i feel like, like a lot of people look at the a big query tool uh, uh, and get quite overawed by it whereas mm. for me actually like it's pretty basic compared to what, what i'm used to used to yeah I, I think in cricket we still haven't really got to the depth of what statistics and analysis and you know how to sort of parts through those numbers can help not just individual players but teams as well now before we shift focus to cricket since you mentioned the online poker thing wasn't Shane Warne quite known to sort of play online poker, and didn't he win like a couple of tournaments? Yeah, I think I think he, he he's he's played poker uh, to to some to some degree. I know I just played a few like was yeah. his poker played in and stuff. Um, the the main event and stuff, which is ten thousand dollar buy in, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and and then there's actually a couple of guys in the county circuit in England who 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 play pretty seriously or who have done as well right uh, i know that there's one guy for example name him but i know that he bought his mum a house from nice from his his winnings playing poker for wonderful that, that's a really good gesture on his part yeah, you know, uh, I, yeah. I just cannot visualize shane warren putting in all that effort and reading up on game theory and filtering <laughs> all that data to you know get a feel for it. you know he's always known for his uh, showmanship and you know, that's it. I'm here. Let's do this. Let's play yeah. this game. Yeah, he would. He would no, be I'm like sure, the, his approach Danny might Ocean. Be quite, yeah, might be quite different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Okay, so uh, from poker onwards to get into cricket, like which I, I know, you know, you're sort of involved with Birmingham Phoenix. You're still involved with the Punjab Kings, and basically you have uh, also uh, be part of the Leicestershire setup. 
which was the first cricket club or county club that you approached and basically how did you get your big break um okay so i didn't i didn't approach a a particular club at a particular time right um and and actually this is such a such an interesting story because um i think that it will illustrate to to any aspiring analyst who are listening mm-hmm. um how actually how quite how difficult it is to 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 break into the industry now now, I mean, I didn't just say, okay, well, I want to go and work for this team or this coach, and you know, let's let's go all in for that. Yeah. I, I probably mm-hmm. sent five hundred emails, messages, LinkedIn, whatever, yeah. any any piece of information, contact details that I could source. Mm. I would I would do my best to 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 get in touch with someone. Yeah, because I know you have written about this in one of your substacks as well about how difficult yeah. it is to get into it and you oh. know the sheer competition and what what sort of things you're looking at because you know what you find interesting a particular club or a bo- cricket board uh, may not find that interesting at all and they're just basically mm-hmm. interested in somebody feeding the data into their stats records or archives rather than somebody yeah. who's actually giving them meaningful information. Yeah, that's definitely the case. I think I think there's a that's that's one area where you've got a resistance point straight away, and I think that there's other areas. For example, some coaches feel uh, a little bit threatened by yeah. by 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 this type of approach. I think that that there's also um, uh, kind of just this general reticence to 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 not trust someone who hasn't played professional cricket. Mm. Uh, and also the fact that people will tell you that they they can't afford to pay you, which is absurd, to be honest with you, because you know there's been surveys done in in, in baseball, for example, yeah. that show you the the value of uh, your first analyst in as a te- for a team, first analyst hire for a team is worth yeah. X win. And the value of the second analyst is worth Y wins, and your 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 sort of subsequent hires afterwards are worth less in terms of wins, but until you get to plateau, yeah, and because yeah. that's and, where you reach that point of diminishing returns, isn't it? Yeah, 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 and you get to a point maybe where like too many cooks spoil the broth, kind of yeah, thing, you know, yeah, uh, and and uh, in cricket. I'm so strong on this. Is that your your the value of a good strategist is in terms of like your expected wins for a season mm. is so much more than like your worst squad player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A team will happily like retain a mediocre player or sign a mediocre player or or, or, or just you know, have a bigger squad than perhaps they need to, but without thinking twice. Yeah. Yet they won't think about investing that money in a smarter way by 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 creating a um, best in class analysis department. Yeah, look, I sort of agree with you because we look at some of the backroom staff that goes on overseas tours or even during uh, home series, any kind of do wonder like what value is each of this person bringing in and do we need you know three of say three dietitians or you know do we really need like two sports psychologists and things like that and i think 
you know, given how much cricket is now being played and players complaining uh, complaining of fatigue and burnout, you know, you'd kind of think that, that you know a sports psychologist or an in-house psychologist or a counselor would become part of standard backroom staff, but then not all teams have it, just as, you know, not all teams have analysts. Now, I know England have Nathan Lehman, but are you aware of any other teams that have a standard or a regular analyst attached to their team? I think that every team will have an analyst, but there's a big difference between an analyst and a strategist. Exactly. So... So, so not many teams will have a strategist, mm. uh, 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 and you know people will say, "Oh, yeah, we've got this guy; he's our analyst." And then yeah. you find out what he does, and all he does is just like code matches. Yeah, uh, exactly, uh, and that's uh, just a mundane job that you could give an admin person, you yeah. know, like half that amount of money just to well, do the boring well, jobs. Yeah, and give it five years' time, that job's going to be obsolete anyway because, like. Hawkeye or someone will, will be able to do that for you. Exactly. So that's that, that and that, that doesn't. That's not an. That's not an analyst. That's, no. that's not an analyst. That's just that's, that's just a, data. That entry, data. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Data yeah. entry. You could get interns to do that for you for free. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not. I, I, I'm, I'm very much against the free the free interns, but I know what you mean in terms yeah. of in terms of you know it's not a highly skilled job. And it's yeah. not a job where you're giving insight, which I think is a critical point of being an analyst. You know, okay. yeah, you know, if you're a financial analyst, you're not you're not logging the 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 stock stock exchange. You're no. you're drawing conclusions from from the data that you're getting from the from absolutely the stock. absolutely. So, what, so, so why is that different for cricket? I'm not really sure. Yeah. So how difficult is it to con- uh, convince team management or head coaches about the importance of having a good strategist, somebody who can give them an idea of, look, this is how you need to arrange your batting order against such a uh, bowling lineup. These are the matchups that we need to take into account. Like, I know different people have different uh, ways in which they work and ways in which they function. Some people carry an fashioned idea of what a number one, two, three should look like. Do do you find that you are seeing the same level of resistance now as probably five to 10 years ago? Or do you think more and more teams are becoming more open to the idea of doing things in a different way? There's definitely more openness, um, but it's still got a lot of development to do. Like, so for example, for compared to five years ago, I think, I think the situation has has improved, mm-hmm. but we're gonna we're a long way away from any form of of yeah saturation or anything like that. Um, for regards to coaches, I I think that it's a very very polarized still. Yeah. So you're some coaches you just don't really have any interest in it, and then you've got got others who actually have really bought it and understand that that where the game is going that this is this is something that they need to upskill at themselves yeah. and to understand the data driven approach a lot more because obviously it's it's evidence based rather than opinion based a lot of the time so what 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 I've pretended to find a little bit is that the older coaches are perhaps a little bit more resistant to it Whereas the ones who maybe finished playing within the last sort of 
10 years mm-hmm. and played T-Tiny at least to some to, some, to a high standard, at least maybe early years of the IPL or, or something, for example, yeah. they they tend to get it a lot more. And I, yeah. and I and work with a lot of players, I would say that the, the, the situation will continue to evolve and kind of like the, the, the dinosaurs will go yes. eventually and the, the new breed of players will come in, you know, the guys who are 30 years old now, in yeah. 10 years' time, they're going to be the coaches uh, and and they're going to be ones who really embrace it because the amount of players who are fascinated by team data, individual data, mm. using data to upskill, self-assessment, all of that stuff is 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 huge, and you know more players now are becoming interested in it than perhaps those who aren't. So we are seeing a gradual change, but it is gradual, and it's yeah. going to take a while. It's going well. to take a while. Now, since you mentioned players looking at their own data and approaching analysts independently, uh-huh. what format are we seeing this change? Is it? Red ball, white ball, and then in the white ball, is it the 40-50 over formats? Is it the T20 formats? Are we looking at more um, in terms of improving the game in the domestic leagues, like T20 Blast or the 100? Are we looking at international level? Um, I think generally it's more shorter formats that yep. there's more interest in. Um, primarily, I think because... It's it's now becoming the 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 main form of cricket worldwide. Whether you're if you're a traditionalist, you're probably not very happy with what I've just said. But it, unfortunately, this is well, unfortunately for them at least, it's um, a situation that appears to be manifesting itself. Mm. Uh, and so you'll have different players that will come to you for wanting to to improve, but perhaps they might have different objectives. Right. So you might have a young player come to you and say, okay, well, why am I not getting in a team? What do I need to do to get in a team? Uh, and then you might have an, a team, uh, an established team member saying to you, okay, well, you know, all right, I've had a couple of good years in the Blast, for example. You know, why am I not getting franchise contracts? And then you can show that player well, what, what, what their level is compared to a franchise player, for example. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and or you might have you know, players who are really driven to play international cricket who, who who haven't had that opportunity, and you you might want to show them you know what the benchmarks are for international cricket compared to what their their outputs are at the moment. Yeah, uh, uh, and all, so it all, it all applies. But generally, more often than not, it will be because they want to improve to play franchise cricket. Now. And I suppose, given that that's where a lot of the money is being poured into and uh, you know the greatest exposure i suppose mm-hmm. that's where that trend is beginning to change um yeah I, I anticipate that slowly slowly it'll filter onto the longer formats as well what, what are your thoughts on that yeah i mean i i actually think that the data and data-driven strategies in general are, are is very undervalued in in longer formats i think that the people think oh it's just a pick 11 players and then it's just down to them to beat the other team. I think yeah. there's, there's a lot more than that in, involved. And actually, over this last year, I've spent a lot more time in looking at Red Bull data mm. and I'm more and more convinced now that, that you can use data to make teams much more efficient in Red Bull cricket. And I've, I've learned a lot this year from, from that as an area that I wanted to upskill in and I feel like I've done that. Yeah. Uh, and 
And so, so I think it's a fallacy that the the Red Bull cricket uh, doesn't need data as much as as short format cricket. Um, I think I think that it, yeah, it's quite lazy mindset to think that it that it doesn't need that data, and I think it does. Absolutely, it does. I think. Um... You know, a big departure from conventional coaching and strategies was probably when John Buchanan was coaching Australia, and I don't know mm-hmm. what sort of tools he used, but it was very different in terms of what other teams were doing then. And I suppose uh, England sort of picked up that as well when Andy Flower, which was coach of the English team, and they were looking at a lot of data, isn't it? I mean, so much so that when who was it? Who, who was the guy before Chris Silverwood? Um. Uh, Oh, no, before him, before him. Uh, Peter Moores. Peter Moores, exactly. Because after every game, whether England lost or won, the uh, press conferences were all about data. We'll have to look at the data. We'll have to look at the data. So we know that England was doing that. They probably were looking at the wrong data or they weren't getting the information out of it that they should. But uh, yeah, I think that there is that, um, you know, the, those stories that, even test teams were doing at that. Now, would you say that perhaps they weren't looking at the right kind of information or they needed to look at something specifically different? And, you know, case in point over here, say, let's say Zach Crawley, for example, right? In terms of selection, do you think England's missing out on potential good players by sticking to some old names? Um. Oh, that's such a tough question to answer because, I mean, I, I've said for a long time that that I think that the opening batter player pool in English cricket is 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 kind of probably not not as strong as as it has been in the past, mm-hmm. and perhaps not as strong as as it it, it it could be comparable to other teams. Um. So so what I think that they've that the England England's rationale is is that they they find they found someone in 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 Crawley who's got you know visually you can see he's a very talented player yeah uh, and while that hasn't necessarily transferred itself to numbers they're willing to give him that that extra opportunity because they probably don't see that there's anyone else better in 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 county cricket to to take his place so they want to give him every chance that that he can to succeed right and 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 and, and, you know if there was a guy if there was a guy averaging 60 year in year out in division one and not getting picked Mm. i think that 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 would be uh i think the the situation would be different and a lot of people would be arguing a lot stronger about it but but there isn't really anyone else kind of banging the door down. Demanding. That's true. That's true. So let, let's but, look at another tricky question here then. So can we use data to sort of, not reverse engineer, but use it in such a way that we can improve cricket at the domestic level or even grassroots level so that we sort of produce these players? And this is not England specific, but in general. Yeah, I think that we can do a lot more than that. So. I think that you can use, for example, age curve analysis mm. for young players to understand which players are more, um, are likely to 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 develop into being an international player, for example. Right. Um, now, yes, that can go. That can take it. That can take uh, shape in in various ways. One one could be 
a really detailed data-driven age curve based on uh, improvement, general rates of improvement, or it could be very, very simple things like, say, for example, 75% um, roughly of of players who play England on our teams in the World Cup have at least a solid county career, for example. Yeah. So, so there's 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 a lot there's various ways you can do it, but but on, on the whole, like yeah, you, the the talent ID I think is is some is still very very subjective in England, mm -hmm. and, and the problem is is that that relies often on the opinion of one person to dictate the direction of your career. Yeah. And, and that's that's a big that's a big issue. So, just to give you some some insight on that, um, the county players who I find my my models find underrated, mm -hmm. uh, players who perhaps like they spent a year too long in the second team or two years too long in the second team because they didn't get those opportunities in the first team. Yeah, but they're clearly good play in the first team for yeah. somebody. Uh, those guys pretty much always didn't come through like the under 19 pathway mm. that makes sense you know like the england england age groups or or, or were highly touted from a, from a young age mm. whereas you know the, the the players who who are, are are coming through the england pathway they tend to get opportunities a lot quicker quicker yeah which not necessarily aren't always merited uh, uh, and and so you've got this situation where where you're kind of trying to create, well, there's a situation to be created, whether it's been by accident or design, where there's a self-fulfilling prophecy to some mm. degree. Because, um, you know, the players are coming through the pathway, they're, they're also getting more opportunities at county level. And then uh, England can then turn around and go, well, you know, well, all these players have come through the pathway, they've played Lions, they've played Lions, and now they're getting first team uh, international cricket. So, so the system's working. Well, actually, the system's kind of geared up in 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 their favour a lot of the time. Particularly if you if you consider the the some, potentially the a player who comes through the the lines might get the nod over a player who doesn't come through the lines yeah. in terms of a line call for selection. So so uh, it, it, a lot of the time it does create a self fulfilling prophecy and one that's uh, reliant on. On finding early developers as opposed to late developers, right. uh, that's quite a hot topic at the moment in 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 England in terms of that the the, the growing realization that not all players develop at the same rate, and there are plenty of talented late developers out there who are say twenty three, twenty four, right. but but never really had that opportunity. Opportunity, to, yeah. Because I suppose by yeah. then they're already relegated to the county games and nobody really gives them an opportunity. Well, yeah, or, or they'll they've got a job somewhere. Yeah, you know, and they're playing True. minor county or club cricket or something like that. And 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 we've you know, I something that I've known about for a long time because I've got models that ascertain all this stuff. But but also now we're starting to see it in in England as well, where where a um um in the second team cricket. Uh, Saka, who is a South Asian cricket, cricket academy, cricket. yeah, 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 yeah. They, 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 they competed very, very, very well against um, team county second teams, and a number of of their players have already got got pro contracts from that. So, so that shows you that there's 
talent out there that's that's not being picked up by exactly, counties. Yeah. So are uh, you, you know, are you linked in with the SACA people? Like, do you consult? No, not them? at all. No, no, no. Not at all. But 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 it's for me. It's just really interesting to see that how that's developed because it's completely in line with with my own perceptions about the poor talent ID from county cricket in general. Right. And, and also, like I said, the, the sort of priority given to people who come through the pathway, in inverted commas, as opposed to, to, to late developers or players who are perhaps, you know, a bit more unconventional in terms of their skill sets. Skill sets, yeah. So, yes, that's actually a good point because, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is you know, a lot of people that come through the England setup, you know, you have to conform to a particular coaching manual as such. I mean, people mm -hmm. like Bumrah or um, Alasit Malinga or people like KP, yeah. if they had grown like and played their junior cricket within the England setup, they probably would have been coached out of their unorthodox actions and aggressive style and approach to batting or bowling. And, you know, they would probably then either not do very well yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty fair. Um, and you, yeah, it's almost like a, an, an unorthodoxy is perceived to be a negative, when actually it could be perceived to be to be a positive. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and you look at you talk. You mentioned about Jasper Bumrah uh, here having having such a unique bowling action. Yeah. And Naveen or Hacker Leicestershire, who, who I recruited there, mm -hmm. he got kind of a similar similar action to to, to Bumrah. And and actually, we we perceived it to be a positive, because uh, you know batters haven't come against come up against players like that very often. No, very often. that's true. And, and point of difference, it's a sight unseen. It's not it's not something that should be coached out of him. It's something that should be embraced. Yeah. Now, how long have you been associated with Leicestershire? Um, so, so I, I uh, joined them in the summer of 2020. So, just about two years, and there have already been a lot of good changes that have happened at Leicestershire, isn't it? Um, I think in white ball cricket, there's been a, a positive evolution at the mm -hmm. club. But I think so, you've, you've also been very instrumental in getting more people coming into the ground and watching the game as well, haven't you? Well, that's 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 nothing to do with me, unfortunately. Well, so. <laughs> That's more to do with Sean, who's who's been who's a CEO, who's been been very very instrumental in in, right. in it, achieving that. Um, but I think that the style of play in in T Twenty cricket, generally, regardless of who you're you're working for, is 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 critical for getting people into into the ground. Yeah. So you know, I, I'm, I'm I'm sure that people who follow my work generally will know that I'm a big advocate of. Of playing attacking, fearless, absolutely high intent, high intent cricket, yeah. from from a batting perspective. Yeah, uh, and and that that's the style of of play that I think also gets crowds in as well to watch. Yeah, exactly, and especially in a T Twenty well, game, you know you have got the nerdlers, they yeah. want to see hitters. Yeah, exactly, because uh, you've got a finite amount of resource, which is number of deliveries, and you definitely want to maximize all of that, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, and there are some some teams or 
teams who are coached by the same coach around the world who I won't pay and watch. Mm. I will not watch those games because I don't find them interesting. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that, that they're any form of value for money in, in, in terms of if I had to pay for them ahead, uh, on top of a subscription for Sky TV or something. Yeah. So, so, so but, I, but I want to create that point of difference. I want that identity. And I think that that's something that, that, that is, is so important to create. So you, if you can create a winning strategy, but also a strategy that gets people interested in, in, in your style of play as well, then, then all the better. And I think that that's something that we've done actually really well at Birmingham in the 100 over two years is yeah. to create that identity. So, sort of think it's really, culture, isn't it? Really critical to create that identity from year one of, 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 of a new tournament as well. Because, yes. because it, the teams who, who have the identity, the teams who have early success, for example, they are generally the teams who kind of end up being the bigger teams, if you like, and if you if you're using the IPL as a template, why you know the CSKs and yeah. the MI and yeah. stuff like that. And I suppose, you know, that sort of then weaves into what the brand identity is of a particular team as well. And then, you know, you attract a fan base based on that because, you know, there are there are all sorts of fans. You know, some fans like to see that slam, bam, you know, attack from the first ball itself. There are some spectators who probably believe in the old conventional ways that, hey, look, you know, don't waste your wickets in the power play. Just see it yeah. through reasonably fine. Okay, you might score at, say, eight runs and over instead of nine, but at least you've got two extra wickets in hand and then you can optimize yeah. it. So, you know, that, that sort of feeds into that as well. And uh, overall, like with your during your time at Leicester, how helpful have you found Sean and how receptive have you found him and then consequently the rest of the team management, you know, buying into your recommendations and the suggestions that you have given them? Because, you know, based on what other changes Leicester have made, it looks like they're coming in with a very open mindset and are not averse to trying something different. Um, it's, 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 it's always a difficult one because you can't, you can't expect to get everything that you want in terms of analysis and, and recommendations and stuff, because ultimately you're dealing with human beings as well. And human beings will always have their own opinion and human beings will always have their, 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 their willingness to, to 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 take their own path, yeah. And, and regardless of who you work for, that's always the case, yeah. Um, I think that over overall, it's it's important to to stick with a process in terms of understanding that taking a team from the lower reaches of of cricket mm-hmm. and Turning them into a competitive force forces, is not, yeah, not a five minute job, yeah. It, it's 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 much longer than it that. It takes time, um, yeah. And, and I think that you know, particularly in football, you often see our coaches will say, "Oh, I need time, I need time," and yes. and, and because and that's just just trying to buy themselves time because yeah, because they don't want to get the sack, but but 
actually to do that in cricket you do need time much more than football because so say for example in in, in football you've got a say you're like a league two team right mm-hmm. and you've got players you don't want in your squad because you don't rate them yeah you can you can sell them to like a conference team or national league team or whatever and get them off your wage bill get a few quid in uh, or, or save money uh, and, and then you can reinvest that. But in county cricket, if you're bottom of division two, yeah, you can't sell anyone to anybody. You no. can't. You can't. Sell Absolutely. Yeah. So you have to honour the contracts. You have to 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 deal with the hand that that you're given, and, and sometimes that's the hand that you're given before you've even walked in the door somewhere. Exactly. So. Um, so that's why it takes so much longer. You know, in football, you can overhaul a squad pretty quickly, whereas in cricket, it's genuinely is like a minimum three, probably longer year process. Exactly. Now, since you've mentioned this point about, you know, seeing that thing take shape and seeing that team sort of build up based on, you know, your recommendations, we saw you at the IPL auction this year um, at the Punjab Kings table with your big laptop. How did that feel? Yeah, it was a great experience. Um, Wasn't it just? Like, you were one of the stars of the show, and, Uh you know, we we were watching all of that, and we thought, okay, you know, dance over there. But I actually felt happy seeing that whenever you had a point or a suggestion to make, the other people around, they actually listened. And then yeah. you know, they use that in the bidding strategies as well. And when you look at how some other teams, Sunrisers, for example, you know, managed mm-hmm. their evening, it was like chalk and cheese. The contrast. Yeah, I, I have to, I have to say that the one, the the going to the auction was just the most incredible experience, uh, and and hopefully the first time of many. Um, but but also the the management group at, at Punjab were were exceptional and and I don't just mean on the on you know the two days of the auction I mean just throughout the whole process yeah. Um, yeah. working with closely with Anil and um, Shankar yeah. on a on a regular basis prior prior to to going out to India and then and then the owners uh, and some of the other coaches um, subsequently as well were. were was 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 fantastic in terms of the buy-in, and you know, I, I felt very valued. And and the the generally, if, if you know, like, as you say, if you have a point to make, people will listen. Yeah, of course, you've got to you've got to earn your earn your stripes to some degree. So you yeah. know, in the, in the run up to the auction, we'll, we'll be having very long meetings late late at night sometimes, and you would you would be. Uh, you would have to really prove your points sometimes in in those meetings to 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 get that back backing. But I like that. I, I don't have a problem with that because if you've got an evidence based point of view mm. uh, and you can articulate that pretty well, uh, and then people right then then once you've done that and people understand your point of view, and then they turn around and say, okay, well that's great. We'll support that. Then that's all you can ask for, really. Absolutely. And, and I felt that I felt the the overall the 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 group was was yeah. fantastic to work. With. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, obviously, the tournament was was we, we were effectively 
I'll say this a few times probably, um, two two Tuatia sixes in a row away from qualification. <laughs> qualification, yeah. Those are the fine margins that sometimes yeah. dictate, dictate the outcome of tournaments, you know? Um, the, the, there's... There's the Herschel Gibbs drop catch in 1999. Yeah, I mean, if it was like a 38-game season, like the Premier League in football, for example, I think that you'd see a lot less variance. Yes. But but in in a a 14-game season where you don't even play everyone twice, um, Mm. the the variance is is, is certainly out there. Uh, And... You know, there was there was probably things we could have done differently in terms of strategy and matches, but but on the whole, I think generally, I think we we acquitted ourselves pretty I well and, in, and, and left the auction room very very happy with with our performance generally. Now, and I suppose you could see the difference in the way Punjab approached these matches this year compared to the last couple of years as well, and the games that they actually got things right, they got them really really right and. You know, they were just like runaway winners on those days. And some of the other days, it was either marginal losses or things just didn't work out the way it was planned. And But such is the nature of sport. You know, you can't always yeah. guarantee th- that everything will fall according to plan. Um, just since you mentioned the 38-game EPL season, do you ever foresee cricket leagues, especially some of the major cricket leagues, go on along those same formats that the football leagues go? Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all. So, so the IPL is such high, um, high value now in terms of a commercial sense. That, yeah, that I just see that it's just going to go on more and more and more and more. Uh, and we've already seen now that I think over the last day or two that it's been announced that the ten teams are now going to play each other home and away. Yeah. So that extends the to eighteen games. Yeah. So all you need to do is double that, and you're basically there. If you play each team twice home and away, then then that's a an EPL season, basically. Pretty much. I I I, I still think that uh, people have talked about it a little bit, and I and I, I I firmly do agree that this is where the game's going in terms of an IPL team might contract a player all year round. Mm. So you know, might, I don't know, for example, uh, Rajasthan Royals might might sign a player for, for Rajasthan, but then they also go and play for Barbados. Yes. Hull, yeah. And, and things like that. So, so, so I can see that type of thing happening. And the, this kind of a scenario where the IPL is the main stage and then all the other leagues are like feeder leagues to it, like to minor it. leagues yeah. in terms of, comparatively to baseball, for example. Yeah, and I suppose that's partly because of the immense amount of money that the IPL yeah. generates and the sponsors it attracts. Um, I mean, look, we, we could talk about this for, you know, ages as to how it all pans out and who gets what and who gets what not. And then you've got the uh, attraction for the other leagues where, you know, your fringe players can at least get those contracts and they get the exposure they get to play because you know for them it's a way to earn their livelihood as well not just yeah because not everybody can be abd villiers or Kohli or chris gale or sachin tenduka you know no not everyone mm-hmm. gets to that caliber but they still have to apply their trade they still got their bills to pay so you know if yeah. i can't get into the ipl i, I might look at uh secondary league probably like the big bash or even the emirates t20 or someplace else yeah. and then use that as a stepping stone isn't it 
Absolutely, and I think that that's a um, a really good way, for example, of a young a young player to prove that they're mm. ready for for the IPL by doing exactly that. Really, you know, we're we're seeing young players come through all the time. There's so many talented young players in England right now who are particularly now that the um, there's such a spread of tournaments around the world, they're getting exposure and opportunities so much exactly easier than they did even three or four years ago. Yeah, where it was really tough to get yeah. to get overseas. True, because uh, I see a lot of players in the Big Bash over here. That there's more English players now than there used to be when the Big Bash started. Yeah, yeah, and you, you see it, you see it now. I mean, I, I know that the the, the, um, the the probably I'm pretty sure England was the most dominant overseas nation in the South Africa auction. Mm. Uh, I, I think that you'll see that's also probably the case, or going to be close to the case in the Emirates League. Emirates as well. League as well, exactly. Yeah. It's going to be great for the development of English players, which ultimately, in theory, should benefit mm. the national team. True. Well. And I, I would like to see some of the players from non-test playing countries as well, you know, because you've got people representing Hong Kong or uh, Singapore or uh, you've got Oman and you've got uh, Namibia, you know, who don't get to play on the international stage that frequently because of, you know, let's face it, ICC doesn't always have the best interests of every cricket playing country Mm -hmm. around. And I think that then becomes a stage for them to showcase their skill. And if they shine, then they can go further up. Um, I'm not so sure about that. I'm going to be honest with you because... Um, I'm I'm very in favour of like a meritocratic. Um, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely where, on merit. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm but not why, saying as that in, as in opposed to, for example, a compulsory associate. No, no, example. no, not compulsory. But yeah. you know, say for example, uh, who can I say? Let's say Bilal Khan from Oman, right? He can't get yeah. a gig in the IPL because no, right. So given that every other major player has been taken up by some of these big leagues, there mm. is a league, you know, where there is space left. He can then go into that league, isn't it? And if he performs well, mm. then other people can take notice. And, and that's what I mean. So, you know, again, through yeah. sheer merit, but at least it's an opportunity for them to showcase what they're capable of. Well, that's it. So so you've got... Um some Irish players now, for example, getting opportunities in in leagues leagues around the world yes. um, for, for the first time. So you've got, I think, Harry Texas playing Tec- in yes. CPL. Exactly. And uh, 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 Josh Little just played in the 100 and played yep. T10 last, last yep. winter as well. Uh, uh, and so we are seeing, though, that that happen. Um it, for me, in terms of they've got to be good enough, but if the opportunities are there, then they've got to take it. But also, we also have to take into account the fact that mm. because they've lacked exposure, could their upside be more? For example, so a talented young player from a non a non test playing country or a non major country, yeah. could yeah. their could their growth actually be? Be quicker in a high performance environment. Quite possible. We, we don't know. We don't know that, but it's definitely possible. It's possible. Yeah. For me, a player's nationality is is utterly irrelevant in terms of understanding a player's yeah. strengths, weaknesses, and capabilities of fitting a role. You know, I, I've I've been part of a team who who have recruited some of the first Afghanistan players to play in the T20 Blast. Yeah. Uh, Naveen was the first. 
out and out bowler from Afghanistan to play in T Twenty Blast, and and even though he he couldn't make it over for the tournament, we we signed Gerbars purely purely as a batter. Batter, to, yeah, to, and, and look at what he's doing now in international cricket. Exactly, and fifty two of twenty six yesterday in yeah. CPL as well. Yes. So so um, I I'm not scared of signing players from from non major backgrounds, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but the players have got to show that they're good enough or, ha- or have the potential to develop to be good enough as well. Absolutely. Um, so I'm not, I'm not in favour of compulsory, compulsory uh, quotas or anything like no. that. But I, but I do, but I do, I do uh, think that there's potential growth definitely yeah. from certain certain countries. And how much does the potential, uh, you know, the uh, upcoming Pakistan Junior League play into this because I'm fairly certain that they're only looking at players up to a certain age group, isn't it? Yeah, I I, I like the idea actually of this Junior League. Mm. I really do because it, it it's going to find a few gems, yeah. um, particularly in, in Pakistan where you know there's such a big yeah. player pool. It's quite difficult to have robust talent ID processes as well and uh, not surprisingly the bcci only two or three days ago announced an under 15 national girls tournament as well but along similar lines know. yeah yeah so i can see that this it will springboard developments in yes. other countries sure i i like the idea of it in england as well you know maybe an under 21 league or something like that um where where the best players, yeah. the eight, eight, the eight teams in the hundred, have to pick yeah. a player from that wild card, yeah. for example. I think it's a great idea and, and something that will really tie into the narrative of the tournament. Yeah, um, maybe the hundred teams have a team each in the under twenty one league, for example. That's Probably. another way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, 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 I think it's a fantastic idea. Uh, and it, all it does is give exposure to young players to, to uh, on the big stage, yeah. um, to, and the ability for for people like me as a, as a strategist and an yeah. analyst to, to to get more data on them to understand their strengths and weaknesses. weaknesses yeah. And that can only, yeah. only be a good thing. No, know? true. You know, there's no, there's no nothing bad. No, there's nothing bad. Things. It's just more cricket, isn't it's it? It's not, more for us to enjoy. <laughs> Unless you're like a 35-year-old who's trying to boost your retirement pot, who probably hates the idea of young players getting contracts or merit, then 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 there's nothing bad there's nothing bad that can come of this. So, no, but then why for do it? yeah, but then for that 35-year-old, you've got other T20 leagues. I mean, when David Beckham was past his prime, he he went to the American football leagues, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So exactly. you know, people could go play in the minor league cricket circuit, or they could play major league cricket circuit, because you know, a lot yeah. of the top talents not likely to go there. Just yet, they will go where the money mm. is. And speaking of uh, the juniors' development, it's not just the established test teams who are doing this. Uh, the Japan Cricket Association this year, I think, I think it was this year, they set up a Japan Futures League, where every team has to have at least six players under the age of 21 in each team. And as they get a larger pool of players, they want to phase out the 21 years and over and just have it as an under 21 program. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. So, you know, they're already it. thinking ahead and, you know, they're not focusing on the senior side as much, but they are actually laying more emphasis on the uh, grassroots level and getting more people just to play the game and then selecting players from there. Yeah. But you look at you look at any national team, right? The, the anyone, or the, if, if they're 
clever about the way they operate, at least, and cognizant of their costs. They they should know how much it costs to develop a player for the national team. Yes. On, on average, what's the average cost for finding one player to play for your national team? Now, if that under-21 league costs double what that amount is, for example, but you find two superstars out of it, yeah. then that's worthwhile, right? Exactly. Uh, Absolutely. So you, don't even, you don't even need those leagues to break even. You no. know? They can be indulged at a small cost. Yeah. Um, because because a country will happily pay X amount for to unearth an international player. And and these leagues, I mean, I, I would imagine the Pakistan Junior League will mm. find a couple of superstars who then go and tear it up in the PSL. Yeah. And then... It's 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 a quick pathway to the national team in Pakistan as well because they they do like picking youngsters, young, absolutely young. It's not impossible to envision that someone who's unheard of playing in the Pakistan Junior League this winter will, in a year and a half or two years' time, be playing for for the national team. Yeah, no, true. Now, just to move slightly away from the actual practical aspects of the game and focusing purely on the statistical side of it. Do you find there are there's a difference between analysts who actually pour through a lot of detailed data, come up with their own modeling system like you do, and mm-hmm. uh, you know armchair analysts like you know people on Twitter or Instagram or random guys who quote figures like oh, so player X, you know, scores really well in the third innings when the sun is shining and things like that. I mean, that, that, that sort of data really doesn't mean anything. It doesn't really add any value. So I wouldn't foresee a team coach, you know, looking into that, isn't it? Now, without yeah. asking you about trade secrets, the modeling that you use, is that something you came up with yourself or is that something that other people have been using or other sports have been using? No, um, everything that I do is my own ideas. Right. Really. I think, and I think that that's a beneficial USP for me in terms of not coming through any kind of development pathway myself yeah. and being self-taught is that that I've had to rely on independent thought from the start of the process, really. Right. Whereas you do see a lot of, if, if you ask, if you go around like the county analysts, yeah. they've all got quite similar mindsets a lot of the time, or they've, they've all been developed in a, in a certain way right. and necessarily encourage independent thought, which is mandatory, I think, in this industry. For me, the, if you're being taught how to do something you shouldn't try and create templates and and template analysts or template coaches which i think is a lot of the time is is actually what's happening um in in cricket where whereas you want people to be more independent and have their own thought processes yeah also like you know those thought processes can't be madcap they can't be just like whims they have to be evidence-based, logical, health thought out. Uh, and if you can argue articulately your point of view mm. using data, evidence, whatever it is, then that's, I think, a feather in your cap. Yeah. But I don't, th- I don't think a lot of county analysts, for example, can do that. I think that they spend too much time coding. I think they spend too much time on the training pitch, like mitting and stuff like that. And I, and I, I, I think that that takes away from 
what they're they sh they're actually employed to do and 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 them upskilling themselves yeah now is that partly because coaches like a lot of average joe coaches don't understand figures you know anywhere outside of averages strike rates uh no i i think it's i think it's the way that the analysts have been brought up actually brought up, in yeah. terms of because you know they, they will be brought up and trained based on what the industry yeah. has required or focused on at that time. Now, if you get a new, like a different breed of coach who wants all those other details, then perhaps the next batch of analysts will be taught how to do those things. I, I think ultimately it's down to uh, I, I, it's a two-way relationship between a coach and an analyst because. Mm. A coach should be comfortable coming to the analyst and saying, I want this, 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 and this. Yeah. But the coach has got to know what he wants first in terms of the, what the analyst can provide. So, so I worked sort of with Paul Nixon, for example, who's been great in, in developing his own knowledge of data and statistical trends and, and theories and, and understanding biases and, uh, from, from, from non-data non-data sources right uh, uh over over the years and and you know hats off to him he's been very 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 good for that but but generally speaking that's not necessarily always the case uh with with cricket coaches mm. so so you know he might he, he would be able to come to me and say i want i want this 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 and this yeah but like most other coaches couldn't do that but by the same token then i could go to him and say well i've got this this and this this and this that i need to show you and he he gets it so that's that's pretty pretty positive but but on the whole that that but that's how, that that's that's through both of us mm. developing our own our own skill skill sets independently rather than going through like a any kind of training regime regime so i see that's just two people who have professional pride in in what they do as a job and wanting to be the best versions mm -hmm. of themselves. So it's, it's pretty much like a symbiotic uh, relationship then isn't it yeah yeah now we know you've got your laptop and you keep your own records and data and things like that but do you also then rely on other sources of information like crickviz or crick metric or you know hawkeye data and things like that yeah you have to try and try and have as much access to to as many sources of information as you can because you can't capture it all my, myself you know i can't no it's to impossible like, for one person to do it right like, like hawkeye subscriptions or whatever it might be teams that you work for will have some form of of availability of data supply to you um so for example in the hundreds um every team Every team has crickets, for example. Um, uh, in county cricket, there's nothing stopping you from from buying access to to, to their tools yeah. or to, to 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 do the same for another company, for example, as well. Uh, and um, obviously, there's a few in the market that, that, in theory, you could go to as well. I find crickets tools are pretty good, actually. So, so I, I've enjoyed working with those. I think that having as many sources as, as data as you can is is can only be a good thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, as long as they're reliable and they tell you different things, or you can draw different conclusions from things. Things, yeah, true. Then, then, then for me, it's all positive. Yeah. Now, I've heard you talk of weighted averages before, and I don't really understand 
what does it what it actually involves do, do you mind shedding some light on that yeah so so like a, a weighted average will be you could there's there's various ways that you can approach this this system but ultimately it boils down to to giving a player more or less credit for performance based on potentially the, the conditions or the opposition mm-hmm. that are that they're, they're, they're facing. So, for example, we go back to our previous discussion about players from non-major nations in yeah. T20 cricket. Well, okay, so if you go on Quick Info and you look at, I don't know, a player from Denmark yeah. or something, yeah. you're going to... They will say their T20 international batting data and it, they might strike at like 160 with an average of 30 and you think oh wow that's amazing and then you look at i don't know virat Kohli, and you, th- you see his numbers are worse than him mm. but of course the guy from denmark is nowhere near as good as as virat Kohli absolutely because he's yeah. because he's playing against weaker opposition yeah uh, so you have to to quantify that gap in some way shape or form mm. uh, and weighted averages go go a long way to doing that. Um, by the same token, you might have two batters who, who average the same, playing for different teams, mm. and one of them one of them is, has a home venue that's an absolute road, and the other one has a home venue that's a green top every week. So basically, so, like Oli Pope at the Oval versus Joe Root at Headingley. Well, Pope at the Oval is probably a, a notable example, but to be fair to him, his, his average away is pretty good as well. Um, but you're right, though, his numbers at the Oval are unbelievable. Mm. Um, he's generally pretty flat there. But, but yeah, there's a, that sort of stuff has definitely got to be taken into account as well. There's, there's just so many ways to approach it, but, but understanding that type of thing is, is hugely important mm-hmm. and, and enables you to get a very rounded view of a players and that player and their talents. Right. Now, one question I wanted to ask, and this is something that I've been thinking about for a while. You know, we talked earlier about using stats and data in informing us when it comes to selecting players. What if you have an established player who's out of form two years, three years, right? whatever the case may be? Can we then identify a statistical point, you know, whether you're looking at two standard deviations below average or three standard deviations below average in terms of saying, okay, this player is now officially, not officially, but this player is now statistically out of form and perhaps wouldn't give us the better returns uh, as opposed to, say, some other player. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think if you're looking at someone being out of form, then then two or three years is is if they've been playing poorly for two or three years, that's not out of form. Mm. That's there's there's a there's a bigger problem at play there than, mm. than a form discussion. Yeah. Um, you know, out of form might be one series or one tournament, yeah. you know, it's not it's not it's not gonna be you know, two or three year period. Correct. Um no, so what I do is, you know, my work is I, I I generally don't really like to go back too far in terms of understanding a player's current expected level. Mm. So 
So, for example, now, now it's it's September 2022. Yeah. And I might look at data from the start of 2020 or start of 2021. Yeah. Depending on depending on how how um, how much a player might have played. So it's very very critical to to combine a having a fairly robust sample size that you feel like you can draw some meaningful conclusions from mm. but also having it to be relevant from a time scale perspective so for example you know chris gale is 43 now yeah uh, and and there's no there's absolutely no value in looking at chris gale when he was 30 because Chris Gale at 30 is not the same player as Chris Gale. 43, yeah. And so looking at like long-term stats or career data or whatever, it's just completely misleading. Mm. By the same if you're looking at it from a more decline-based argument as well, mm-hmm. you might have like a 36-year-old and you wouldn't want to look at their data when they're 32 because the expected decline from the ages of 32 to the age of 36 is is quite significant as well so you would want to guard against being having any skew from older numbers when the player was was playing at a higher level or right. towards their peak um so so for me it's it's all about as i say combining kind of recency with still with a de- decent sample size right okay but it is possible that maybe in the future there could be somebody or even you could come up with a model that says, okay, look, this is now this player has now reached that point of diminished return, so you know maybe not be that same value. Yeah, I mean, it happen- I mean, that's not difficult a lot of times to draw that conclusion anyway. So you know, if you've got a, a player in there, I, I look at peak at about as about mm. twenty-eight to thirty-one, yeah, roughly, roughly, yeah. Um, changes from player to player, but as a general rule, you're not going to be miles off if you adopt that. Yeah. Um, if you've got a 34 year old who suddenly gets worse, yeah, over a long time, or well, so not, or over a six month plus period, you can be pretty sure mm. that that guy's fine. Okay, fair enough. That's that's good. Because, because, it tally, because it tallies with the age curve. Yeah. Analysis. Yeah. And also with with the numbers that you've got in terms of their recent decline in, in form and forms well. and things like that. Now that that's quite helpful to know because you know there are obviously elements in there where you know we don't get into it, and a lot of fans, especially, they just get carried away by emotions. And then when 100%. you you go, hey, but look at what's been going on for the last two years, and they go, yeah, but he's a champion player. You know, he will come back. And then you know there is this one innings where said player scores really well and they go look we told you he's back in form and you kind of go you know like one swallow does not a summer make so one good innings doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that player's back in form or even playing at that same caliber where he or she was playing a few years ago absolutely yeah i completely agree with you um you know i often make this joke but sometimes i feel like uh if 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 Michael Owen and Wayne Rooney were cricketers, they'd still be getting IPL Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Of what they've achieved yeah. in the past. If know? I remember correctly, I think you have a Substack article on that as well as to how veteran players or senior players still get picked up. And I think India is yeah. making those same mistakes, which they probably have done for many, many years. Uh, you know, as somebody who has followed India pretty closely, 
you know, we saw Kapil Dev continue to get selected past his prime. Same thing happened with Tendulkar. Same thing happened with Dhoni, Yuvraj, Rena, And now we are seeing the same thing with Kohli as well. Yeah, and, and, and that's a critical element of, of of roster construction, whether you're doing it in a franchise league or as an international team. Is mm. You have to, you ha- as, as uncomfortable as it, as it may be, you have to look at succession planning. Yeah. You have to, you have to look at um, preempting decline before it occurs, and and not letting and, and understanding when that decline is is likely to be terminal, or, or to the players never going to get back to the yeah. level that, that, that previously were. And then you've got to make some pretty ruthless calls sometimes in terms of moving those players on. And, and that that is exactly my point because you know. You, you get the fans who go, yeah, but retirement is the prerogative of that particular player. And I go, yes, it is. I mean, yeah. they can choose when they want to retire. But, you know, you have a selection system. There is a panel. There is a, you know, group mm. of people taking these decisions. Surely their interest should be performance of the team rather than some veterans' sentiments. Absolutely. Um, I, I think it's absolutely absurd that a player gets to choose when they don't want to get picked yeah. in, a, in, a, in a national team anymore. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I just find that really bizarre. Now, we have yeah, one yeah. question from a listener. Um, okay. His question is mostly related to, well, two questions actually. First was about Crawley as opener, which I've already answered. And the second one was, how much can a team like India, for example, rely on statistics from their domestic tournament to make selections for the national team, considering that a lot of those domestic matches are played on flat batting tracks with methods like first innings lead deciding the eventual winner? I, I don't know how much Ranji Trophy you follow, but th- that was one of the questions yeah. asked. Not, not a great deal, to be honest with you. Um, I... Yeah, you're going to have to use domestic cricket as some form of a benchmark. Yeah, because because that's all you've got really. And, you know, if you've got a young player like Jaiswell mm. posting incredible numbers, then he's probably going to be someone that you want to invest in. Yeah, um, I, I yeah, there's models that you can build to 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 ascertain this type of stuff anyway. Yeah. Um, in terms of translation and age curve and stuff, I'm pretty sure if you if you gave me a week, produce the next batch, looking at who, identifying the next batch of test players for India, yeah. looking at Ranji Trophy data, I could give you a short list of ten sure. players. Look, if if I was chief selector within the BCCA panel, I'd probably give you a month. Would that be sufficient? Oh, definitely, I'd say <laughs> a month. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, if you want to give me a little longer, then I'm happy with it. And I think, you know, just as an add-on to that, it looks like BCC is going to use Hawkeye for all the Ranji Trophy games uh, from the coming season onwards. So that Mm. is going to give them a lot of data. How they use it is a different question altogether because, you know, BCC sits on a lot of things which they never use it. Well, this is the critical thing. So it's all, it's all very well having um, a, the you know the ability to use certain data and certain certain tools and stuff like that. 
But if you completely disregard everything that the data tells you because you want to pick, I don't know, a Viracoli who's past his prime because he's Viracoli, yeah. you might as well just invest the money to start with. No, exactly, yeah. I mean, you, you might as well. You know, I, I think we should just call back Gavaska out of retirement and get him to play because he was the first player who made 10,000 test runs. So, you know, surely he, <laughs> he can bat a bit, right? Isn't it? You've got to be. Yeah, yeah you've got to be. You've got to be. Uh, you got to. If you're going to commit to, to doing to creating a, a structure and investing money in in great tools, then you've got to be willing to li- to to use them to to learn and improve as well. Yeah. Now that's. I think that was pretty much what I wanted to you know have a good hearty chat about. It has been an absolute pleasure listening to all this information because, you know, we hear about uh, Nathan Lehman's involved with this and Jared Kimber's working with uh, the Scotland team of St. Lucia and uh, dance with now Punjab Kings and he's doing bits and pieces for Birmingham Phoenix and good kid at St. Gillis with some team, things like that. But, you know, common fan like me doesn't really understand what goes on behind those closed doors, you know, what the process actually involves, what sort of metrics you look at, you know, how receptive is team management in listening to the information that you give them and how that can shape not just selection, but also on-field strategy. It has been an absolute pleasure to listen to somebody who's been there, done that, and has found success doing it. Now, if I were BCCI president, I'd probably know where to find you. But if somebody wants to follow <laughs> you and subscribe to your Substack, where can they get hold of you? Yeah, yeah sure. You can um, follow me on Twitter at SA Advantage and uh, my Substacks at uh, danweston.substack.com. And if you are uh, if you're the BCCI <laughs> or any other team, you can feel free to drop me an email at sportsanalyticsadvantage uh, at gmail. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's not a very easy email to remember, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's on my Twitter bio though, as well. So yeah, it is. It is, the link it is there. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I'll put these details up in the show notes as well. W- once again, thank you so much for taking a big chunk out of your morning to d- discuss these no things problem. with me. It has been absolute pleasure. Enjoy. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. And no doubt we'll probably just keep texting each other on Twitter anyway. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you so much. I don't know if it's been recorded anymore, but yeah, yeah. no, it's been been great to chat. I really, really, really enjoyed it actually. So uh, yeah. a really nice kind of diff- different discussion to absolutely to some of the other pods that I do. So, so yeah, it's been 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 quite unique and and really enjoyable. Perfect. Take care. See yeah. you soon. Bye. 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 Well, there we go. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode, and I hope you all found it as informative and enjoyed it as much as I did talking to Dan. Just to remind you all, please send us your feedback uh, to us via Twitter, even though the handle is at cricketing underscore C-O-N-V. If you search for the Crickets Clouch, you'll find us. Please share your views and tell your friends or that very annoying cricket nerd at the workplace about the podcast and spread the love. A huge thanks, as usual, to Umangi and Numan for the artwork. Until the next time, please do take care and enjoy time with your loved ones. Cheerio.